This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey, welcome to the Top Rope Review. I'm Mike. I have with me Josh, Will. We have Tabitha, our Twitter personnel. Twitter Bob, valet. Twitter valet, sorry. <laughs> Bob's here from uh, IT in the D. And uh, we have a very special guest, Supermouth Dave Darson with us. Drayson. Drayson, oh. You might have to cut a promo on him. Yeah, I sorry. Guess. Luckily, he's, luckily he's so far over the table, I'd string terrible. his neck up right now. Jeez. I'm sure my handwriting doesn't have the Your R and the A switch, though. Handwriting's terrible. But we are broadcasting live from... Uh, the Detroit Sound Studio above Activate Gaming in Ferndale, Michigan. And uh, we got a good show for you today. We're a proud part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Very, very proud. So we got... Uh, looks like we got a caller already. Holy moly. Ready? Yeah. You we haven't even said the, the number out. You guys want to <laughs> take it? Should we take the call? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah let's go. First call ever. <laughs> hey, how's it going? You're live with um, Top Rope Review. Good evening. How you doing? Good, how are Who's you? This? Good. Just got a question for Dave Drayson. I want to know if that's the mouth. Is that the guy they call the mouth? That's me. Super mouth. Dave, Not the mouth of the South, the super mouth. Who's this and where are you I, from? This is, hmm, how do I put this? Uh, look at your buddy Terry over here in Florida. Just thought I'd call in before I start my meeting. Terry Fredericks. That's the one. Great wrestling historian from Florida. Thanks for calling in, my friend. Thank you. Your first call here at Top Rope Review. You yep. don't win a prize, though. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, you owe him $100 here, Terry. <laughs> What's your question? Just, my question is, is there a way we can plug the Fans Wrestling Hall of Fame on Facebook? Everybody is welcome to join. We have every legend inducted that you could think of. Check us out. Send a request, and we'll add you. Yeah, you just did. You got your plug. (laughs) I'm in there, too. So, yeah, if anybody uh, goes to Facebook, uh, look up Terry Fredericks and, you know, look up Mark Bujan, B-U-J-A-N. He's got a great uh, wrestling site uh, dedicated to Detroit, Ohio, and Ontario, the old school stuff. And then he's got a 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, website that, you know, people, you know, uh, you know, Blog on, you know, send pictures and comment. Uh, one of the best wrestling uh, blog sites, you know, in the world. You know, great membership. You know, I think uh, recently we topped 13,000 members, you know, who look at it almost every day. Uh, great sites for old school wrestling fans. And if you're a new school wrestling fan, like a lot of you guys here who Man, by the time I almost finished my managing career, you guys were, you know, first coming out of the wound, you know. Uh, you know, so if you, you know, young fans out there, you know, listening to this show, if you want to learn some old school wrestling history, those are the sites to go, you know, uh, on Facebook. You know, great stuff. You'll learn a lot. I know, the I'll only check other thing, Dave, if I may, the only other thing I'd like to say is, my condolences to the Bachwinkle family on the passing of Nick Bachwinkle. Yeah, we talked about this briefly uh, before the show started. 
Um, it started a month ago when a good friend and a fellow wrestling manager, Al Friend, passed away. And I had said, you know, usually, you know, these legend things come in threes. And sure enough, Al Friend and then uh, last week, uh, Donnie Fargo, uh, one of the greatest performers in the history of uh, re- professional wrestling, he passed away. And now last night, Nick Bockwinkle. And, you know, Nick was... Uh, class personified, a world champion, uh, and a world champion with the people. I said he was a friend to many and an icon to everybody. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. And, you know, may all our, you know, friends who have old school friends who have passed away recently, you know, rest in peace. Yeah, and I may they rest in peace. I need to back out of here. Um, got a meeting starting in about three minutes. Dave, take care and God bless my friend. Thanks for calling in, Terry. Awesome. Looks like we have another caller already, man. You guys, uh, you are <laughs> popular guys. Off the hooks. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. how's it going? You're on Top Rope Review. Thanks for uh, calling in. Can you get your name and where you're from? Yeah, my name is Mark Bujan. I'm from Durand, Michigan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a yeah. pleasure to be on to talk to my friend, Dave Brzezinski. Do you have a question uh, for him? Yes, sir. Right. I just want to say hello to Dave. Hey, Mark. How are you doing today? And you guys, I'm doing good, Dave. You guys there as the hosts are uh, in for a treat. <laughs> Dave is a well-respected wrestling. Uh, oh, he's done it all. And uh, this guy here started from the bottom, worked his way to the top, managed the Sheik, amongst many others. He's a partner of mine on my two wrestling groups, as he mentioned. We have over 14,000 members combined on the two groups. He's a great ambassador to wrestling, both of Detroit and the uh, country. Well-respected. And uh, he also put out a couple books he'll tell you about. But I think uh, Dave should start by telling the uh, fans you know, a little about himself and how we got started and uh, take it from there. I'll, I'm going to hang up and listen, but I just wanted to check in. Thanks for and calling in, Mark. The check will be in the mail tomorrow. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. President of, the, to find it. President of the Supermouth Fan Club there. <laughs> you got it. Well, let Dave tell us. It's a tremendous story he has. You guys are, it's going to be a good a good hour here. Okay, you guys have a good night. Awesome. Thanks Thank for calling you. in. Okay. Yeah, he asked how I got started, and really the uh, beginning all started back in the late 1950s. Uh, probably the most famous wrestler in the Detroit area at that time uh, was a man named Leaping Larry Shane. And my parents owned a two-story home on the east side of Detroit, and fortunate for me, Leaping Larry Shane and his family lived upstairs from us. So I had, you know, sort of knew this, and I'd watch him on TV uh, on Channel 7 and Channel 9, you know, back in the day when there was only four channels in this city, two, four, seven, nine, and, ooh, boy, if you were lucky, you got 50 and 56. <laughs> uh, so he was very impressionable to me as a young kid, you know, five, six, seven years old. Uh, you know, I'd see this guy on TV and his wrestling, and that's where I really got involved with, you know, loving wrestling and watching it on a regular basis. And uh, I'll have to tell this, you know, real quick story about Larry. Uh, there was one day back in 1962, he asked my mother if he could take me to the TV studio, Channel 7, for their matches. 
uh, that they used to have the matches at night, but they would have the uh, TV program during the day to generate interest in the show and show promos and, you know, work the thing to get, you know, interest people to come, you know, to the show. So my mother says, yeah. So Larry takes me to Channel 7 Studios. So we're walking in. He's got his suitcase, and we're walking in the hallway, and out of nowhere, like around a corner comes Ricky the Crusher Cortez. And back in that time, Cortez and Leaping Larry Shane were like mortal enemies, and they were the biggest draw, you know, for um, Burt Ruby's promotion. And being such a small kid, these guys are giants to me. And I saw Ricky the Crusher Cortez, and like now I'm with Larry Shane. It's like, oh my God, they're gonna start fighting right here in the hallway, and I'm gonna be in the middle of this, you know. And then luckily, you know, you know, kayfabe kind of thing. You know, Ricky <laughs> left, and Larry, you know, went another way. But the ironic thing about that is, like many years later, when I became a manager, I managed Ricky the Crusher Cortez. It comes full circle. Uh, just, just real quick for everyone listening, um, we're just like a small podcast studio, so we're not like a radio station. So we have no phone screener. So the people who just called us, um, please call back, and we will try to get your calls. But unfortunately, we don't have a way to answer your phone every time you call. <laughs> but yeah, we said two more calls. I didn't want to interrupt your nice story you had going on. Oh, no, so but anyway, <laughs> you know, let me fin- finish that. So it's yeah. like you know, Leaping Larry was you know a big influence on me, and I was you know a fan who watched it on you know TV. But when he was coming back from a match in uh, Indianapolis uh, one day in 1964, fell asleep at the wheel, and you know he passed away. And it's like it was a shock to me and. You know, his family, of course, upstairs from us. But the next chapter for me was in 1965, and I'll never forget this. Summertime, I'm a young kid, 10 years old. Uh, You know, in the summer when you're out of school, you went and played baseball. At a time when, you know, you play, you know, you'd get up in the morning, you go to the ballpark, you play baseball, you know, and you can hear the mothers along the block, you know, relaying, hey, you know, lunchtime, you know. And we left our equipment on the, you know, playground back then, you know. And, you know, you'd play until it was dark. And this one particular day, it got to be like 5 o'clock, and some guys go, hey, yeah, you know, we're, we're going. It's like, wait a minute, you know, we've got hours left of daylight. You know, no, no, we're going to Kobo Arena for wrestling. I go, really? And they go, why, you want to go? I ran home as quick as I could and asked my mom if I can go. And sure enough, she gave me a few bucks. We got a $3 red seat at Kobo Arena, and I had enough money for a program and a hot dog. And I had the greatest time of my life. And I had mentioned this story because the very first time I went, uh, one of the heels at that time, I mean, I seen the Sheik and other guys like that, but Killer Carl Cox, he got in the ring and as wrestlers do, they just point, you know, into the audience, and he pointed right in my direction. It scared the living hell out of me, <laughs> you know. And I told him this story a few years ago before he passed, and he goes, "I did my job." <laughs> right? yeah. And from that show, my very first show in 1965 at Cobo Arena, up until the time I left when I became a, a manager back in 1974, I had only missed two shows in those 10 years. And that's when the Sheik sent me to L.A. 
uh, and I worked for the wrestling office there for a month with the promoter Mike LaBelle. Well, this, oh, wow. She sends you. I think you have to go. So. Yeah, right? We'll, we'll forgive you for that. He one. didn't pay me to go. I had to pay for. <laughs> I had to pay for that myself. But I had a that great time, you. and I lived in one of the houses. Oh, this is such a great story, and I'll try to do it real quick. Mike LaBelle let me use one of his houses, and it's this mansion like across from Beverly Hills, and had an Olympic sized pool in the backyard, and this house had to be like four or five thousand square feet and stuff. And I walk in, and there's my bedroom, and this thing is like. Oh, 20 by 40 feet and blue velvet, dark blue velvet. And I go in the bathroom and it's like, now this is class. There's two toilets. I'm thinking one to pee in, one to poop in. Well, I never knew, you know, I'm a young kid from Detroit. I didn't know what a bidet was, you know, so I don't know if you guys know what a bidet is. I don't think me now would be able to make that connection. Well, there's like, uh, I've been in like, well, yeah, we'll go, we won't go there. It's not a water faucet. Yeah, and it's not like there's a handle to flush either. There was a floor, little pedal, and it's like. I hit this pedal and water came streaming <laughs> out of this thing, and that's when I found out what a bidet was. <laughs> that's so, Dave. I just want to chime in real quick. This is Bob, the play-by-play guy for XICW, and I've been a wrestling fan, obviously, you know, like these guys my entire life. But I don't think anyone really gets down and deep as to the history of Detroit wrestling. I mean, we're going back. My my grandfather came into this country in the '60s, went to the Kobo shows, Olympia shows. Raised me on it, right? That's kind of how I became a fan. But I think that some of the names, I don't know if they get lost in the history, but it's not as revered in terms of the history, like the, the NFL or NHL, right, where there, there's a single-bodied uh, Hall of Fame, right? I mean, talk to me about the history of Detroit. I mean, because you talk about the stars and the people that came through this town. It, it, the, the, you could talk probably for three years on, on kind of the, some of the stories and the matches. Well, the history of wrestling in Detroit really goes back to the 20s. And up and down Woodward Avenue, there was a lot of venues. Cobo Arena wasn't built yet. Uh, really, they didn't start using the Olympia Stadium until the 50s. And, you know, uh, Olympia Stadium, you know, God, they had, you know, great uh, talent back then. I mean, Vern Gagne would come in, Lou Thez, Argentina Rocca, uh, Dick the Bruiser, you know, really made the Olympia famous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially with his bouts with Alex Karras. Uh, but then, you know, Cobo Arena was built in 1961, and the Sheik uh, really bought the promotion from uh, uh, Jim Barnett and Johnny Doyle um, in 1964, late or er, late 64, early 65, and he based his you know promotion out of uh, Cobo Arena. And that's when wrestling really took off here. I mean, they had some great shows and great crowds at the Olympia from the late 50s up until then. But the Sheik um, really made Kobo Arena. And that's the one thing well, I he always say. was the first say, classic heel. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, Dick the Bruiser was also a sure. big heel oh, back yeah. at that time. But the Sheik really, you know, took the city by storm. And that's the one thing, you know... I've been trying to do is get the Sheik into the Michigan uh, Sports Hall of Fame, which that falls on deaf ears a lot of times. But I say that um, 
the city of Detroit should put a statue of the Sheik on top of Cobo Arena because that guy sold out that place or drew so many fans to downtown Detroit and generated so many tax dollars to this city that the politicians of the city of Detroit never recognized. And at that time, the Sheik was out drawing the Detroit Pistons, uh, the D- Detroit Lions, uh, sometimes the Tigers in their bad years. Uh, and definitely the Red Wings and the Ned Harkness years at uh, the Olympia Stadium. The Sheik, you know, with you know big time wrestling, outdrew them all. We got another caller in. Let me take this call real quick. Hey, welcome to the Top Rope Review. Can we have your name and where you're calling from? Yeah, name is uh, Fred Curry, calling from uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Oh my God, how you doing, Freddie? Uh, this? For, for this is Dave Drayson. How you doing, brother? Hey. If any, How you doing? fabulous. Uh, now, uh, f- fans listening in, uh, flying Fred Curry. Let's put it that That's way. Correct. One of the greatest talents to ever grace uh, big time wrestling here in the city of Detroit. Also with his father, Wild Bull Curry. Uh, my God, this is such an honor, you know, for me, Freddie, I, I really appreciate you calling in and I hope that, you know, the listeners and these people in the studio appreciate, you know, a hall of famer calling in, you know, on a wrestling show. Well, I'm, I'm always available for wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, just, you know, I'll give it a plug. Uh, Fred uh, wrote a book about his father, Wild Bull Curry, that's out there. You know, I I highly suggest uh, people, you know, if you're, you know, an old-school Detroit wrestling fan, definitely get that book. And I hear that you're writing a book on your career, Fred, which, you know, hey, hopefully uh, people can get a two-for-one discount from you. Well, absolutely. (laughs) I I got this one going. uh, The one where my dad was uh, the walking riot Wild Bull Curry, anybody went to those shows in Detroit or in the whole area and know what I'm talking about. And the one I wrote on myself is Flying Fred My Way. And I got a lot of interesting things, and it gives you a rundown on uh, wrestling throughout the Michigan, Texas, and all the areas that I've been in, including uh, outside of this country, Japan, Australia. And, uh, uh, well, it's going to be really good. There's a lot of pictures and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of different memorabilia, and uh, can't wait to put it out. Yeah. Put it out in uh, January, and There's... I already got a TV show uh, that I'm going to be on the schedule in Boston. So I got high expectations for this book. And uh, yeah, let me let, yeah, let me throw this at uh, the fans, Fred. If sure. ever there was an innovator of the drop kick you're listening to the man who really invented and perfected the drop kick and there's times in wrestling matches you see a wrestler use a drop kick maybe once if you're lucky sometimes twice fred could go seven eight ten i've seen him do you know what 14 15 drop kicks on opponents you know and that takes stamina and talent and you know flying fred curry will always be uh one of the greatest wrestlers to ever perform in the city of detroit and i remember also things where i was a member of the fred curry fan club uh, (laughs) which was run by a gal named chris mcconnell 
And, yeah. you know, and then when I became uh, a wrestling manager, this one I'll never forgive you for, Fred. Uh, we were at a TV studio and, you know, the fans are around the ring and you threw me and I landed, you know, upside down in the corner a la uh, Ric Flair, you know, what he perfected. And I'll never forget this old guy with a cane in the front row just came under that ring and boom, nailed me with that cane and knocked me silly. And you're at the you other end. Of, you're at the other end of the ring. Going, well, you know what do I do? You know, it's like he deserved it. You know, but I'll never forget. Also, another Fred Curry memory I always have with you and your father walking into the arena. I've never seen anybody else with suitcases because you guys used to come in with steel, silver steel suitcases. Am I right? That's right. Great, oh, great memories of Fred Curry. Hey, hey, you know, going back to those drop kicks, you know, the reason for them, the fans motivated me out there. When they started counting along with the drop kicks, that, that made me want to go more and more and more. And that excitement that it did generate, it kind of generate that all the excitement into me. So every time I, I heard that, you know, I usually, when I went to a ring and I started wrestling, all I cared about was my opponent. I never heard anything. But I did hear them counting. And it really motivated me. It made me feel like this is what they wanted. And like my dad says, always give them 125% of 100 and so, uh, if, uh, if ever there was a wrestler in big-time wrestling that gave 125% and brought the fans to their feet and was a fan favorite, it was you, my friend. Well, well there's, uh, there was nothing like the Detroit scene. Nothing like it. Cobo Hall, I mean, it, it just was a generation of, of uh, top wrestlers all over the country. They came there. And, uh, and that big bus that they televised from, I mean, it, it made you... Uh, know that, I mean, when you were wrestling in Detroit at Cobo Hall, these, these tapes were going all over, all over the world, all over everywhere. And I mean, wherever they went, if you performed to the right stature that you wanted to, you're going to be over in Minneapolis, you're going to be over in New York, you're going to be over in Hawaii. I mean, that's how we all started going all over the country, and that's how I got it. Hey, hate to cut you off, I mean, but... Uh, Thank you so much for calling us. Thanks, Fred. <laughs> we only have Dave for an hour, so. <laughs> so I, th- I think um, I wanted to note one thing. Uh, I, I, uh, Flying Fred Curry was PWI's most popular wrestler in 1972. So that's just worth noting. Um, I think, you know, talking about um, old-time guys, I think it's a good time for us. We, one of the things we really wanted to talk to you about is, like, the difference between wrestling you know back in the hate in the golden era of big time wrestling and then like what it is like now like how do you how do you feel it's how is it similar how is it different uh it's just totally different uh back in you know i'll say the old school days uh there were so many characters yeah and i mean characters, characters. and i mean everybody from the hated germans you know, the hated uh, Japanese. Uh, Love me some Baron Von Raschke, by the way. One of my uh, all-time favorites. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Exactly. You know, the that claw. Was his, yeah, oh, the claw. <laughs> oh, great guy. Uh, but there were so many characters. I mean, going back to, you know, a guy like uh, 
the spaceman, Frank Hickey, who came out dressed like an astronaut in a way, or a spaceman. You know, uh, the great Kabuki, uh, Pam Perro Furpo, uh, Haystacks Calhoun, who was a big draw. Uh, there, there was just so many characters that people, you know, believed in. You know, that's when, you know, they believed in their character. So, Dave, I got a question for you. Is it, I don't want to say it's ruined it, but now it seems like everybody, the fans, know how the sausage is made. I mean, there, there was obviously probably a charm back then where you didn't know how the sausage was made and it made it kind of bigger than life, right? Well, I always say, and uh, Jimmy Hart told me one time, the mystique of wrestling and the end of kayfabe is when they took the television camera back in the dressing room. Yeah. You know, now everybody, you know, the mystique is gone. You know, uh, people, you know, you know. Uh, Hogan I, having I, a drink with Piper. It's like, oh, my God, you're not supposed to drink together. You're supposed <laughs> to hate each other. Yeah. You know. And, and that's the thing. These days, uh, there's really no baby faces or heels. You know, it's like, you know, you know, either you were a hated person back then. There's no chic these days who was just hated beyond belief that you wanted to get out of your seat and attack him. You know, you know, there's the barriers and stuff now and – you know, people, you just can't generate enough heat, and they don't tell stories anymore in the ring. You know, guys like Johnny Valentine, uh, he could tell a story in the ring, and he'd start off so slow. You know, and people would, you know, people today, if they saw a match of his, they'd be sitting on their hands and it's like, what? come on, let's do something. But Johnny Valentine started his story, built it up, and when it came to a crescendo, you know, all hell yeah. broke loose in the arena. You know, and you don't see that kind of stuff today. Well, I, you know, coming from a huge ECW fan, that's when the lines kind of got blurred because you didn't cheer for the baby or the heel. You cheered for the guy, the moves, the the action, the high spots, the the you know, the blood, whatever it is that you were into. And then started the death matches, and and they're trying to push the envelope and up. I'm kind of happy for everybody's health sake that it's kind of retracted a little bit because it's, you know, doing the whole light bulbs. and I mean, come on. There's, there's only so far you can take it. Yeah. The, uh, oh, the extreme matches. I mean, back in our day, you know, you had your cage match. And depending on your nationality of the baby face, you'd have an Italian death match, a German death match, you know, just all these kind well, of remember, things. Well, uh, remember the, the scaffold match. What was it? 87 uh, yeah. Road Warriors versus um, – I want to forget who was in the – but I mean that was – I think it was the Midnight Express. It was the Midnight Express, right. Good yep. call. But that was groundbreaking at the time, right? It was and dangerous as hell too. Oh, my yeah. God. Uh, you know, but the, you know, the, it, wrestling just went – off the charts with, you know, bringing in barbed wire and all this other kind of stuff. It's like, you know, who's going to believe that you're going to club somebody, you know, in the head with barbed wire? And even one of the Sheik's uh, last matches in Japan, they had a fire match. They lit the ropes on fire. And it didn't last long because, you know, when you have fire like that so much, you know, it takes the oxygen out of the air. And really, they couldn't breathe in the ring. And they, you know tried to get the heck out of there and the sheik you know got burnt real bad and i'll never forget you know him telling me the story and you know him flying back from japan on the airplane that people (laughs) near him because his skin was so burnt and he stunk you know and he was all bandaged up you know and they just didn't want to be near him 
Well, you think about what the guys go through. You know, when you brought up that match, all I could think about from my era was Sabu Terry Funk, right? Where he literally tore his bicep with the barbed wire and asked for tape from the side of the ring and taped his (laughs) own arm, right? And you're like, are you kidding me? And the guy kept going. The stuff that these guys endure and go through, the pain, I don't think anyone really knows how much these guys get hurt. They all think, oh. especially, oh, it's just my, my father used to always argue, oh, it's fake, it's crap. I'm like, Pop, do you realize these guys have more broken bones than probably anyone you'll ever meet in your life? Well, when you, you know, bring up the fake aspect, and I grew up with that too, you know, it's like being a little fan and, you know, my parents would say it's fake or my aunt and uncle, you know, oh, that's all fake. Why do you watch that? And it's like I learned that, you know, the fakeness of it, okay, you get in that ring. Yeah, exactly. Now you yeah. go off that top rope and land on your back a couple times or take a couple body slams or you know, take a couple arm bars and a couple arm drags and stuff. That next morning, you're going to feel that pain. And me as a manager, this happened to me early, that uh, I was very fortunate to have three mentors, uh, George Cannon, Bobby the Brain Heenan and Abdullah Farouk, or as known as the Grand Wizard. These three guys taught me everything before I even you know, became a manager. Uh, Bobby Heenan taught me how to take bumps. Uh, George Cannon taught me ring psychology, when to do things. You know, as a manager, you're not supposed to be the focus. You know, you're uh, your guy in the ring. That's what people are supposed to be watching. And some people think that, you know, oh, the manager's out there just to hand his guy, you know, a foreign object or pull trunks and stuff like that. No, our job was to bring people into the match at a certain time. You know, uh, if my guy, you know, isn't doing good, oh, come here, come here. I got to tell you what to do, you know. But, you know, when I would do that, depending on the guys like, you know, Mickey Doyle or Al Snow or, you know, Malcolm Monroe, you know. I'd say, oh, you see that ugly old gal in the third row? Where, where? You know, and so I really wasn't giving him advice. Yeah. You know, <laughs> my thing was, you know, guys like that, I was trying to make them, you know, break up and laugh. You know, but when you're managing the sheik, uh, that was a whole other thing. <laughs> you had to really protect his image and make sure, you know, he is still – you know, uh, the God in the ring and the, the worst possible human being in the, you know, professional wrestling world. So there's, you know, really a psychology of what you're doing, which doesn't exist today. So, you know, do you think, I, I was just going to ask you, um, today you almost see it as like the death of the manager. What, the only, there, there isn't yeah. any. Right. Heyman, Heyman has one guy and Ta- that's it. Yeah, right? Paul Heyman, uh, great. You know, he's a great talker, and that's, you know, what a manager's job is supposed to do. And him, you, Truth Martini, I consider one of the best in the business right now, but there's, there's only a couple. You know, so, I mean, the, the, you know. Yeah, but, you know, like guys like Paul Heyman, who I knew and I used to correspond with as a kid because he was a photographer in New York, and yeah. I was the photographer at Cobo Arena here. And another guy, uh, Jim Cornette, was the photographer in Louisville, Kentucky. And that area. So, you know, we started out as, you know, writers and photographers and got a lucky break getting into the wrestling business as managers, you know, and, you know, fulfilled life dreams. We, you know, we were never big enough to be wrestlers, you know, but we lived our dream doing what we love to do and emulating, you know, some of the great managers from, you know, back in the day. 
Yeah, that's what I was like. When's the next big stable? Because that was always, the, you know, in my era in the eighties, there was five or six really good stables, good guy managers, good guy managers. There's, you know, it's unheard of now. Now everyone either needs to have a valet or they're bringing a diva with, you know. Well, but, that's the thing. You know, they say managers these days, you know, are like basically all women, you know, with 39-inch boobs and, you know, skinny waist and stuff. And, you know, if I was to get into the wrestling business again these days to be a manager, you know, I'd have to get implants or something, you know, to make, <laughs> trying to make an impact. Do not want to see that in person. Well, <laughs> I'll, sh- I'll show you a commercial break. Uh, but, uh, you know, you know they're out there as eye candy, you know, for the young viewers of TV, you know, and – you know, back in the day, a manager was placed with a certain wrestler because that particular wrestler, he may have been really good in the ring and stuff, but when it came to going on TV and, you know, putting himself over, he didn't know how. He, he couldn't talk on TV. So that's why they would put somebody like me with a, a certain guy um, and do all his talking for him, make him larger than life. And, you know, just say the most outrageous things that you possibly could think of that the fans would go, oh, come on. But that, oh, come on, put the butts in the seats. You know, they, they, wanted, to come, they wanted to come see if, you know, whatever I said was true. Yeah. You know, and as outrageous as it was, that's what, you know, made us money and put butts in the seats, which is rule number one in professional wrestling. I, I think there's two other people that kind of um, one completely fits uh, as as far as today is concerned, like fits the the archetype of you know what a manager should be, what a manager was back in the day. I, like, and we, we he just returned Zeb Coulter. I think Zeb Coulter, especially like the last run, which it, that's he's Dutch Mantel, isn't that, is yeah, that who it is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it like you know he had Jack Swagger who can't cut a promo to save his life, and he would come <laughs> out and you know like and 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 now he's doing the same thing for Del Rio, who you know he's he's all right on the mic, but I'd rather hear Zeb talk to garner heat. And then the the other person, I think he's not really a manager, but I think he draws heat with his mouth better than anybody else in the in in WWE, and that's um, Xavier Woods. Yeah, outside outside of the ring. Yapping, and you can hear him on commentary. He's, I mean, obviously all the other two guys in that stable can can talk too, and he wrestles. He's not just a, you know, he's not just a mouthpiece, but like he's not so much a manager. Well, ninety percent of their matches, he's the other yes. two guys are wrestling, and he's standing outside of the on you know on the apron running his mouth. You know, those are my favorite wrestlers these days. Are the guys that tried to be good, tried to be a he- baby, and they hated them so bad they became just masterful heels and spun it their favor, right? Oh, it's the best. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, well, and they, they, they've said that they wanted to be heels from the start, and McMahon was like, no, you, you need to be faces. And then when it bombed, he's like, okay, you know, do what you wanted to do. <laughs> okay, I, I don't watch today's product that much because, yeah. you know, it's changed so much of what I know and live through professional wrestling. Uh, tell me wh- who you think is the biggest baby face, and I th- I would probably you know myself say probably John Cena oh, no, is the most. Yeah, there's no Definitely. question. Yeah. Okay. No, but he's hated by half the crowd. That's the that's the problem with Cena. Yeah, exactly. Though. It's the, the 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 smart mark, which I think has ruined today's product. Hates him because everyone likes him, right? It was kind of like me as a child. I hated Hulk Hogan because everybody liked him, right? So I mean, maybe I was the precursor to the smart mark. Um, <laughs> but but Cena, if you're, you got to be 100 percent over. You got to walk in that arena and the place goes nuts. And Cena there's doesn't no do it anymore. No, no one, not. no one's 100 percent baby. Okay, who's the mm. biggest heel 
We got the, uh, another phone call real quick. Let's try this guy's called three times, so let's take this call. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how's it going? You're on Top Rope Review. Can I get your name or where you're from? Tom Burke from Springfield, Mass. Hi, Tom. Now, hey, how are you? Fantastic, my friend. Tom Burke, you, one David? of the biggest, greatest wrestling historians on the face of the planet today. Tom Burke, that, well, I do, and that's a compliment to you. I've, I've known Mr. Burke for, oh, 40-some years, uh, you know, and he still looks the same, you know, from the first time I met him in 1969. <laughs> What's your question, Tommy? Well, I guess my question is, tell me, it's not a question, it's going to be asking an experience. Okay. What do you remember about the sheep that is will always be embedded in your memory? Uh, my memory of the sheep that will be embedded? Yes. Uh, probably the first time uh, I got to manage him. I was in the I was in the dressing room um, on a Malcolm Monroe show, and the sheik was on it, and. You know, I hadn't seen him in years, and we got, sat down and got to talking, and one thing led to another, and he says to me, you know, will you come out to the ring with me tonight? And it's like, oh, you could have knocked me over with a feather. It, I mean, that was the ultimate, my ultimate experience in the, you know, profession, my professional wrestling history is, you know, to manage, to me, the greatest heel uh, ever to step in the wrestling ring. That must have been awesome. I mean, really, what it, a memory. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I still get you know chills and you know think about it and you know uh, you know a lot of us you know uh, who I'll have to say our WFIA group, the Wrestling Fans International Association, uh, which was formed in 1968. We were the first ones to do conventions and awards banquets and stuff like that. Uh, Don Wilson, our president, was you know far ahead of you know the curve, and you know Tom and myself and Diane Devine and uh, Lillian Schnur. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, we were all on the board of directors and we put on these you know great events for fans who came in from all over the world uh and you know we you know just had a great time back then and so many of us like myself i'm you know consider myself lucky and i mentioned jim Cornette, who was uh one of us uh and so many other you know eddie gilbert was a member eddie gilbert yeah exactly yep name a few more you know who you know came through our ranks of the wfia and you know went on to great careers in professional wrestling. Absolutely, yes. It was a wonderful organization. I truly miss those days. But, you know, Dave, those days, sad to say, are long gone. Territories are gone. It'll never return to the way it was, as much as we would like it to. I mean, you know, there's first here and there throughout the country, but there's no network. You know? No, the territory days were the glory years of professional wrestling. We'll Absolutely. never see it. Well, you know, even though there's a lot of independents out there, you know, it's just they're just not a territory, you know, uh, 
like the territory days were, where there was, you know, great promoters and stuff. I mean, you know, from Paul Bosch and, uh, oh, God, uh, you know, Vince McMahon Sr. on the East Coast and Vern Gagne in the AWA and Mike LaBelle in L.A. and Roy Shires in San Francisco and Don Owens and, you know, uh, the Pacific Northwest, you know, the, you know, the, the territory days were, you know, just wonderful. And us as fans, we always, you know, looked in, you know, Wrestling Review and uh, Ring Wrestling Magazine to see who was performing in these areas and hoping that some of these guys would come to our territory. And even when they didn't, you know, people like me and you, Tom, we went to those other cities to see these wrestlers. You know, I like today that... The uh, shall I say the uh, the post Hulk Hogan era fan, where everything is instantaneous. Back in our day, we didn't know anything that was going on, only through newsletters, which were monthly, and and the magazines. The uh, the the casual fan kept on top of wrestling through the magazines. Yeah, and that and, was three, four, maybe, five months and, behind and the time. And many of these fans didn't even know wrestling existed outside their own geographic area. Exactly. You know? So it was, you know, it's, it's really amazing. I just stop to think about it, but I'm happy we lived a matured I might have to cut you I off, though. I've Thanks for calling in. I talk to myself. Would I be a fan <laughs> today as enthusiastically as I was back in the day? All right. I'm, I hey, know. I'm going to have to let you go. Thanks okay. for calling Thanks in, Tommy. Thanks for calling. <laughs> Man, so, you have the biggest fan club ever. <laughs> right. this, our phone has been going off the hook the whole time. This, I got two more calls right now. If you guys want to take another call, you want to keep ahead. talking. Take another call. Real quick one. <laughs> Ooh. How's it going? You're on the top rope with you. Uh, can you say your name where hey. you're calling from? Hey, my name is uh, Bill Shadowski. Mark knows me as The Shadow, and I'm from, uh, I, I live in Commerce Township, Michigan. Okay. Hey. Nice to, nice to talk to you, Bill. I see your post all the time on a lot of our sites and never met you, but uh, hope, hopefully I will one day. What's your question? I got to tell you what, I'm listening to myself, and I shouldn't be doing that. I joined the podcast late because uh, technology is not my uh, my main forte, but I do follow Mark, and I'd like to once again give him his props for making uh, an old guy like me young again periodically by going to his various Internet sites. And uh, and, and also, I, I, I was out of wrestling by the time Dave came along, but I've kind of watched uh, I've seen all this uh, I shouldn't say all of them. I've seen his photographs, etc. And I, I, I take the time to read his posts over on the various Facebook boards. Uh, question sure. uh, to Dave, actually, is that, and maybe it's been asked already, but uh, is, uh, was there any relationship with the Sheik? I saw the picture of him managing the Sheik, and I just wanted to know, did that relationship start and end at the arena every night during that time? For who? Me? For uh, Dave, for Dave. You, did with my relationship sheik. begin and end with the sheik there? Yeah, yeah. In terms of, was there any like when the when the matches were with you guys? What they have dinner, or did sheik go his way and you guys go the other way? I'm just trying to wonder if there was a relationship or if it was all just at the arena. No, uh, it it really went in phases. Uh, when I was the sheik's photographer and I wrote the uh, body press program that was sold at Kobo Arena. 
you know, there was times we went out to dinner at the Grecian Gardens in uh, Greek Town. Uh, then, uh, you know, with TV, um, they used to, they had the mobile truck at Kobo Arena. And then they would do the promos after the show was over. So guys would be there for like a couple hours cutting promos for all the other cities like, you know, Toledo, Dayton, Cincinnati, mm-hmm. Lima, Lansing, you know, just all over the territory so that the, they can insert them into the uh, wrestling tape that went throughout the territory. You know, and at that time, you know, I mean, you're there till sometimes 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, and it's like, you know, everybody just breaks up, and, you know, nobody went out. Uh, I used to go out with uh, Tony Marino. Me and him would always go to Greek Town. Uh, there was a couple guys we hung out with, but usually with the Sheik after, you know, the TV truck days, you know, we never saw him after the show. Interesting. When you would go to Grecian Gardens, did he break K uh, five? Did he? Did he? Did he always stay in character when he was there? Was did he become just Ed Farhat when uh, when you were at the restaurant? No, he was himself. But we usually had a private room in the back, so no other fans or anybody else. But if yeah. ever, anybody else was around, you never seen him speak or anything like that. He uh, definitely kept in character. Well, thank you for calling in, so we appreciate it. But I'm about to let you go. Thanks for calling in, Bill. Before we get pulled into something else, I want to pull us back into what we were talking about before the phone calls because I had an epiphany. Top face in the in the WWE is Daniel Bryan. We haven't had a we haven't yeah. had yeah. we haven't had a guy that was over with the fans like that since Attitude Era. But we didn't get into the heel. Who you think is the best biggest characters heel? Has got to be Bray Wyatt as far as best character because he's actually believable. But I don't think people hate him. Right, I, just, I think, well, no, because the smart marks like him. That's the I problem. I was at well, breakfast yep. with my grandparents today, and they watched, uh, and they're kind of still uh, in and out. They, but they watch uh, WWE every week. They they told me we hate the Wyatts. They we hate everything about them. They come in, they attack everyone. They come in with their little lantern. They're like, and they're getting paid for this. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Grandma, <laughs> like. So I, well, I that means think, they're doing their job. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. They're doing their job. That's why they're getting paid for it. But, but to I me, think, they're one of the only characters yes, in the yes, WWE yeah, these days. Because exactly. I think they're a takeoff of Duck Dynasty in a way. Totally. Yeah. yeah okay. Oh, yeah. So you know, uh, what other TV show or you know, uh, you know, uh, pop culture thing of these days is anybody else? You know, emulating. following. Well, you know what the thing that's killing me is. Could you imagine, like in the eighties, if if Macho Man Randy Savage came out and they sh- cut him down to Savage, just yeah, his name, this whole name. last name bit, and and not giving people these personas and these nicknames is is kind of bastardizing the business. You had you have great characters like Cesar, uh, Antonio Cesaro, the Swiss Superman, but they introduce him as Cesaro, and it sounds just. You think about going the old days if they would just introduce last name guys. It, it ruins the character. You know, for me, it's, you know, I, I go back to the days when his father, um, Angelo Poffo, wrestled in big-time wrestling. And Lanny and uh, Randy would come in, and they were young kids, you know, and they'd be hanging around and just watching and be in the dressing room and stuff. And, you know, to see when they finally broke into the business and their evolution, you know, it was great to see. Uh the what a great thing. Mike Leaping Lanny was, though. What a great Mike man he was. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, his poetry, eh, you know. But people didn't, hated yeah, it. But he he was, yeah. yeah, he yeah it was great. out of nowhere, though. Like, he, right on the spot, did he not? Just 
Oh yeah, Poach, well, yeah. He, he's, he's all just he's off the cuff. Lanny is one uh, fantastically educated human oh, yeah. being. I saw him at the uh, Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame uh, this past uh, summer, where I was the MC for this year's. Uh, uh, festivities and it's like what a great honor that was and to uh, you know be around all those guys but yeah Lanny is one very educated you know but on you know you go to his brother you know Randy uh, you know the one thing I say you know for him is you know he never really gave props to Pam Pero Furpo because he stole, well, I shouldn't say stole, but maybe borrowed the, oh, yeah. And that was, you know, Pampero Furpo's, you know, signature, you know, when he did promos. Well, you look at Nature Boy. I mean, how many guys have been Nature Boy over the, over the course of history? Oh, Nature Boy. <laughs> Buddy Rogers. Buddy Rogers. Buddy Landell. Like, yeah. 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 I, you, know. you know, Buddy Rogers. I mean, you're never going to, you know, he was the pre, old school Ric Flair. I yeah. mean, people who don't know the history of professional wrestling and stuff or ever saw Buddy Rogers or even heard of him, he was the man back in the day. I mean, just people hated him. But they respected him because he um, wore the championship belt like a gentleman, uh, fought everybody, you know, always came out on top. But, man, he, boy, that guy could generate heat. So if there wasn't a Nature Boy, uh, Buddy Rogers, if there wasn't a Gorgeous George, would, would the modern-day Ric Flair would even exist? No. Yeah. I, I think I was, I've been thinking about it. I think obviously not right now and only when he's working heel – but modern era, the only person who I've seen like um, get the fans so riled up that they're throwing stuff at him in the ring and attacking him when they see him out in the community is Chris Jericho when he was like in 08, 09 when he was doing the Nick Bockwinkle inspired like I wear a suit, I'm serious, I use big words to insult the fans. You know, NWO was the last time that the fans just were irate. I remember at the end, end of – Watching end of Nitro, just huge cups of pop being thrown in the ring. I've never seen anything like that to this day. Oh no! Well, when when he but when um when Jericho uh, was in that year long feud with Shawn Michaels in two thousand eight, and he punched Shawn Michaels' wife, he had fans attacking. He was attacked by fans in um in Vancouver, and he had like he uh, he got hit in the head with batteries and like I mean and I've I mean in the modern day WWE you I mean we've seen a couple people try to be cool and like. Jump the barricade in the last couple. Oh, there, of there's no like, such thing in I've WWE ne- these days as heat. I no, mean, they're no, like a no. matchstick compared to you know the old school days. I mean, the heels, you know, usually had to get to the arena early because you didn't want the fans to see you driving a particular car into the parking lot because if you did. You know, you'd have your windows busted out, oh, your totally. tires flattened and stuff. And that's outside the arena. Yeah. You know, inside the arena, you know, uh, being a manager uh, on the outside of the ring, you know, that was almost like a ticket for people to attack you. You oh. know, they weren't going to jump in the ring, you know, but you as, you know, a, a, the voice or, you know, the advocate of, you know, a particular guy in the ring that, you know, the fans hated. Well, they're going to take it out on you. You're the closest thing to them. Oh, they can I, get. oh, I've been punched, kicked, stabbed, you know, bottles thrown at, you know, spit upon. I always say uh, going to the ring is very easy. Your walk from the ring back to the dressing room after your match is like the longest, you know, 
minute, half minute of your life as a manager? I do think you, you brought up your point earlier, with, um, Bob, about the smart marks. I think that's part of the reason we have heels anymore is that <clears throat> the people, you know, these guys are supposed to be the heels, but they're the ones who are so good at promos, they're really good workers in the ring, that all the smart marks like them the best, even though they're supposed to be the guys who are supposed to be booing. So you know who the best one is? in the? I mean, I'm, I'm Kevin Owens. I, I mean, as far yeah. as bringing heat, um, starting, like if you look at what he did in NXT, all of a sudden he started like five or six rivalries within a matter of three weeks. Yeah, yeah and, right? and no one, you know, I don't know if it's he's guiding it or if someone's guiding him, but no one else is doing it, where he just walks out and he has his persona about him and he's out of shape, and, but he's great. As far as just that that heel character, yeah, and and today's wrestling, you know, but you know the, the problem is is you know the WWE comes to Detroit what once or twice a year, and that's the biggest thing. They've yeah. got TV, and you know they're the biggest thing around. But on the independent scene, you know, you have so many different independent groups around our area, and they don't work together. None of them but, do. You know, and, you know, there's such great talent out there, like, you know, for old school talent, for me, Nate Matson, My God, Nate that Matson's guy great. works spectacular. He reminds me of an, a, an Al Costello, you know, the way wrestling should be. Phil Nitro Monahan, uh, Richie Wellington. Uh, there's just so many guys out there that, you know, uh, work great. But, you know, they get no recognition. They work, what, maybe once a week, once a month, you know, and, you know, that's deterrent to your opponent because you're not, you know, wrestling every night and you've got, you know, your timing down. You wrestle once a month, your timing isn't there, and you're really putting, you know, your opponent's body and, you know, welfare in jeopardy. And a lot of these, you know, young kids today, they don't have health insurance and stuff. And they're doing this crazy crap in the ring. What happens if, you know, they miss and they break an arm, break a leg or something like that? Right here. You know, they got no insurance. Right it happened to me. <laughs> it happened to you? Yeah, I, I was I did pro wrestling for a few years and I was doing my finisher, double axe handle, broke my tibia and fibula through the skin, compound fracture. Do you have health insurance? Uh, I did, but not Minimal. very good. Yeah. Yes, I'm still paying medical bills from it. It was five years oh, wow. ago. But you if know, you look at the guys that came out that are even like modern day, like you look at the – you talk about Nate Matson, you look at Rhino, guys that have been – that came out of the Detroit scene, whether they trained with uh, – at K&M across the river with uh, Scott Demore. Oh, Scott Demore. Uh, props to that guy. He, he's spectacular. He's a spectacular promoter. Sure. Uh, these days in his uh, Border City Wrestling – Man, they're drawing thousands of fans across the river where you can luckily draw 100 fans to one of the shows on this side of the border. Yeah, we hit uh, we actually hit 500 at the Best in Detroit show for XICW and thought that, that was monumental. Yeah, you Best know. of Detroit is you know very good. But, sure. You know, uh, the Rich shows. Uh, I, I'll agree with you. You know, and the thing, I used to show up at a few of those, and, you know, no disrespect to Malcolm, who, you know, runs a lot of that and stuff, but I stopped going because there's just so much disrespect in the dressing room. Uh, You know, for me as an old school guy, I come there, I try to support, I try to help, but some people, you know, they believe their persona. You know, they wrestle once a month. They don't have a name or anything like that. And they don't want to give credit or, you know, respect to somebody who, you know, really, you know, brought them, you know, to this stage. 
you know, I'm not saying I'm, you know, the greatest, you know, uh, influence in professional wrestling, you know, these days. Or, you know, I've had my time and I know the old guys. And, you know, we had respect for each other when we rode together and in the dressing room and stuff. And now you've got these prima donna these days who, you know, what, what did you ever do? You know, well, they don't know the history. That's the problem. Right. So, Dave, we want to thank you. Bob, we want to thank you guys for being on the show. But that's pretty much our time. So, Our yeah. time? Yeah. Uh, we no. Can, we can, what, uh, where's the owner of this you. station? Give us another hour. <laughs> Come on. Dig in his pockets. Give us another hour. Let's have some fun. All right, Rag Show, you're out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Corey. No, Dave, we, we'd be more than happy to have you on uh, any time. So yeah. No, can, I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface not of your career. Not at all. <laughs> um, but that, that'll do it for Top Rope Review. Uh, on top of uh, Activate Gaming here at the Podcast Detroit Sound Studio. For Podcast Detroit, I'm Mike, Will, and Josh. Thank you for uh, tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. This is a previously recorded episode.